Father, we thank you tonight for all your blessings. You said in all things give thanks. So we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the R07 engines. Thank you for Sunoco Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa. My two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the little E's. Lord, I pray you bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen. What's up, Kairos? My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here. It's good to be with you. I just wish that absolutely every single person would pray with that kind of freedom. That was a real prayer before a real NASCAR race. Um, and I just wish that everybody would find the freedom to pray like that. Because prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. It is connection with God. Go ahead and do this with me. Ready? Like, we do this with our Bible school kids every single summer. Go ahead and raise your right hand. Say, this is, this is my God hand. Don't make a big deal out of it. It's just an illustration. You're not God. But this is my God hand. And then you go ahead and raise the other hand and say, this is my me hand. And in prayer, we connect and we come together. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? I didn't tell the 7 o'clock service that because they don't really know things. I'm just kidding. Actually, but if you know people who come to the 7, you, you can go ahead and tell them that because I, I forgot that. Because prayer really is this beautiful connection with God. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. And you heard it in the Bible reading tonight as Jesus taught them a story about prayer. He's teaching them about connection. But so often we're afraid of this connection. We're kind of freaked out by it and we resist it. Now I think that part of that is because we're embarrassed about maybe how we sound when we pray. We're embarrassed about the things that we might pray for, especially when we pray out loud. But do you know how powerful and incredible of a gift prayer is? I mean, if we did, we might join in prayer. We might connect in prayer more often than we actually do. It might not seem like a task, but something that we really, really look forward to. Because do you know who you're connecting to when you pray? I mean, I get it. The answer is God. But do you know who God is? We're connecting with the creator of the universe. We're connecting with a God who has been there through it all. The God who was there at the existence of the first light. The God who was there when the planets were taking shape. The God who was there when the oceans made their first splash. When the mountains were rising. When the first child cried its first breath. God was there when the dinosaurs reigned over the earth. God was there when every single thing that we've ever read in our history books talk about, about all the things that happened on this earth. And God was there when the first person walked on the moon outside of this earth. God was there. And how amazing is it that when we are praying, we are connecting with that God who's been there in every single moment, through the highs and the lows of humanity, through life, through death, through wars, through disease, through genocide, through chaos, through bliss, through peace, through kingdoms, through kings, through queens, all these different things. This is the God who has been there for it all. And he says, I want you to have direct access with me. Prayer is connection. It is a direct line to the king over the entire universe. What a powerful thing. And how simple is it that God says, all you have to do is open your heart to me. All you have to do is think it. All your soul has to do is exist and breathe. And I understand the words that are coming from your heart. 
It's such a powerful and profound thing that God gives us through this simple gift of prayer. It is connection with him. And so I suppose that when we really think about it, it makes sense why maybe we'd get a little timid about prayer because it, it's, it's crazy, right? And there's part of that where we get timid about prayer, like I said, because maybe we're embarrassed. But I wonder if there's part of it where we get timid about prayer because like we're understanding just how powerful it is. Can anybody relate to this where you're in a situation? I mean, this has happened for me when I've been in Sunday school groups as a kid. This has happened for me in like confirmation, in youth group, in college Bible studies, in seminary even, in church meetings. Someone will say, okay, who wants to open it up with a word of prayer? And what do people say? Nothing, right? What happens? The room goes totally quiet. No one says a thing. Who wants to pray? And I wonder if part of it is not just that maybe we're embarrassed or nervous about it, but I wonder if part of it is that our hearts are recognizing just how powerful of a connection we're about to tap into. And so it makes sense that as I was reading from different theologians this week about prayer, I found something that was common among many of them. Many of the great theologians who dive deep into the depths of our faith to help us discover more about this amazing God that we worship— do you know that so many of them will admit and write that they resisted teaching and writing about prayer because it was just too big? It was just too glaring. It was just too incredible. And I think that there's something really honest and raw and neat about that. Yes, prayer is this absolutely powerful thing. You're tapping into the most powerful being to ever exist. You have a direct line with that God. Like, who wouldn't want to know about that? Who wouldn't want to experience that? Well, I want to tell you this. There was somebody who knew a lot about prayer. And spoiler, spoiler alert, it was Jesus. When people would watch Jesus pray, they noticed that there was something beautiful, incredible, amazing about his connection with God. And when they would see him pray, they wanted to know about it because they wanted to get in on that. They wanted to know how he prayed like that. It, it just was the sight of it blew them away. And we know that because this is in Luke chapter 11. This is before our reading for tonight. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. There's that one place he would go to pray. And as he finished, one of the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I've said this before, but I think that it's important to highlight again. It was strange for a Jewish person to ask, how do I pray? Especially someone who wasn't a child anymore. They were grown up. In those days, especially if you were a Jewish person, your religion and your faith was the center of your society, of your culture, of your life. Their entire lives and education systems were rooted in learning more about God, learning more about God's holy scriptures. They would have spent time in prayer. They would have spent years studying prayer. They would have spent hours and days and weeks and months memorizing these lengthy prayers. They knew about prayer. Back in those days, they would study religion. They would study God's word so much that even just the common layperson who would simply attend temple services would know as much about the doctrine and the theology and the word of God as a common seminary professor today. And so for a Jewish person to walk up to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. That would be like one of my seminary professors coming in here, getting up in front of you all and say, hey, that prayer thing, <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, it's totally shocking. It's strange. But these people who had spent their entire lives studying about God and even learning things about prayer saw the way that Jesus prayed and saw the way that Jesus connected with God. And they knew that it was different. They knew that it was special. 
And they wanted something like that. And so Jesus told them a story. Before Jesus tells the story, he gives them the script for a prayer. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer today. We'll pray it at the end of this sermon and before communion. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't say it in King James English, but he said it kind of like that. And that's a prayer that we say today. If you ever get to a place where, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say, you could just pray those words that Jesus taught us. They are so powerful, so profound. They come from the lips of Jesus himself. They're so holy, they're so sacred, they're so wonderful. If you really think about what he's saying, Jesus gives us a script for how to pray. But it's so cool that Jesus wants to push it even further. He doesn't want to just give us a script. He also wants us to understand the purpose and the meaning and the heart behind true connection through prayer with God. And that's when he tells them this story Now, remember, we're in this series called Parables. This is the fourth week, the final week. And when Jesus wanted to prove a point, he would tell a story. And these stories are called parables. A parable would prove one point that Jesus wanted to teach people. So teaching more about prayer, he used this story. You heard Emma read about this. It started like this. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Now, when we think midnight these days, we think, okay, night's just getting warmed up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are some people who go to bed early, but not the nine o'clock crowd. Come on. Come on, there we go. But back in those days, like midnight was midnight. Pitch black. No no light whatsoever. This is a pre-electricity era. Everything was totally dark. Culture, society, their towns and their villages would shut down. But in the middle of the night, suppose you went to a friend's house, Jesus says, and then this is what you heard in the reading for tonight. And you want to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to your friend, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, the friend does, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. And then here's where it gets so crazy. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Would you say that? Shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Jesus says when you pray, pray with shameless persistence. Pray in a way that actually seems like it would be annoying. They ask Jesus, how do we pray? And he says, pray with shameless persistence. And what is this guy praying about? It's not like he shows up in the middle of the night and he says, help, my family's gone missing. It's not like he shows up and he says, help, there's someone on the side of the road. They desperately need our assistance. He says, hey, help, I got some friends and I'm trying to throw a party. You got any bread? It seems annoying. It seems bothersome. It's at the most inconvenient time. And yet the friend would answer the door because of the shameless persistence. What is Jesus saying? No matter the reason, no matter the time, no matter the inconvenience, under any circumstance whatsoever, you are allowed this connection with God. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too little for you to pray about. You get to pray about it. You get to connect with God over it, whatever it might be. Everyone gets to pray. Now, I think that that's interesting. Everyone gets to pray because reality, it kind of seems like everyone does pray. I found this in Pew Research Forum. 79% of people pray 
regularly. Now, that doesn't include people who pray like semi-annually or, you know, quarterly along with their taxes. But 79% of people pray regularly. 55% of people pray daily. And 25% of people who identify as atheists or agnostic, well, they pray regularly too. I find that so interesting. It goes hand in hand with some of the things that we've heard throughout history, a very cliche phrase that we hear sometimes, and I think it's actually kind of arrogant, but something that Christians will sometimes say is, there are no atheists in foxholes. And what's it saying? When people are desperate, they pray. I've also heard it said before from Mark Twain, who identified as agnostic, one of the most famous, famous authors in modern history. He wrote that, although I am agnostic, when my wife was sick, I prayed like a dog. There's something that happens when we realize we're out of control. There's almost this phrase that comes from our hearts and it just murmurs out, please God, please God, I'm out of control. Is there anyone out there who is in control? Please God, do something. Please God, pr provide. Please God, just be real. Please God. And I think that sometimes people will hear that and they'll say, okay, well, that doesn't prove anything about prayer at all. So you're telling me that you pray when you're not being yourself. You pray when you're out of control. But I disagree. I think that it's when we're out of control when we actually realize who we really are. I think that is when we are out of control that we actually have windows into the reality of the foundations of our soul. When our guard is down, when the walls have fallen, we start to realize who we really are. We realize who we really are when things are out of control. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if you want to know what's in your basement, surprise it. If you want to know what's in your basement, you don't walk down and say, I'm coming down now, boogie monster, hide. You'd have to surprise it. When I was in seminary, my roommates and I, we had this cat, and her name is Nala. She's just the sweetest little thing. I was never a cat person. Still not really, but I am a Nala person. Uh, this was my roommate's cat, and if you look at her really closely in her paw, you can tell that she, she actually had this mutation, so she actually, she had a thumb. It was the sweetest little thing. She'd look at you and be like, hi, meow. <laughs> Cute little cat. When we were moving into that house, the landlord said to us the last thing before we signed the papers, oh, hey, just so you know, <laughs> this house is a little snake problem. <laughs> There's snakes in the basement. I'm like, oh, that's great. My bedroom is in the basement. Now, over the next few days, over the next few weeks, and even over the next few months, we didn't see any snakes in the basement. And that was relieving. Wow, I guess the landlord was wrong. We don't have any. But one day, I go down the stairs, and Nala has this look of death and, and anger and threatening venom in her <laughs> violence. I don't know. She's a little kitty cat. But she's just, like, just focused on something. And then I look at her little mutated paw with the thumb, and there she is pinning a snake against the carpet. See, when I would go down the stairs, I'd, like, stomp, be like, here I come. And all the snakes, <laughs> you know, just, I hate snakes just the way they move. You know, you can't say snake without, like, imitating one. They would hide, because I wouldn't surprise them, right? But Nala, she could just wait. And she knew it was really down there. If you want to know what's really in the foundation of your soul, you got to surprise it. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out and look for out-of-control circumstances in which we feel desperate. But what I am saying is that when we're in those situations, we start to know what's really at the foundation of our soul. Why do you pray when you're freaking out? 
when you're out of control? Because at the foundation of your soul is this desire for connection with God. Rooted into the foundations of your being, the foundation of your soul is a desire for prayer. You were made for this. At the foundations of our soul, we have a desire to be with the God who is in the foundations of the universe. And here's the really nice plot twist. Are you ready? The God who made the foundations of the universe cares about the foundations of my soul. So Jesus says, keep on knocking. Are you freaking out? You're starting to know who you really are. And I get it. We could go ahead and put up this facade and just pretend like we're in control. And then when things go crazy, then we'll knock on the door. Help, help, help. And when we sporadically pray, don't get me wrong, that's real prayer. And God is listening. But if we were to persistently, I mean obnoxiously, shamelessly, persistently pray, we'd be more human. We'd be more in touch with reality. Because we'd be admitting, I'm not actually in control of anything, but I am in connection with the one who is. My soul is connected to the creator of the universe. My out-of-control self is in connection with the in-control divine God. This is who we really are. Persistent, shameless prayer, it's reality. It's understanding, I am not in control but I am in connection with the one who is. Now, it's kind of this crazy thought and this crazy feeling like, because when I hear Jesus say, keep on knocking persistently and shamelessly, especially if you live in the Midwest like we do, that makes us feel awkward. Because you know what a Midwestern knock is, right? Nobody in the Midwest walks up the doors, goosh, goosh, goosh. Like, we, we just don't do that unless you're being really, really annoying, Right? It makes us feel weird. We, we don't like it. In the Midwest, when we knock on people's doors, we even come up with little songs, right? Like, you got it, Kaya, come on. You know, like, like we're just like, I, I don't want to alarm you, so here I am, right? Like, we don't, we don't persistently knock on things. It makes us feel strange. When I had just moved to Ames, I was living in an apartment, and for about a month, one of my friends, who was a pharmacy student, was doing his rotations. He had a rotation here in Ames. So he was staying with me for several weeks. And one night after Kairos during our first year, I drive back to my apartment. It's late and I didn't have my key with me. I never brought my key with me because I never locked my door. <laughs> Stupid decision. But nonetheless, I never locked my door. I get to the door. My friend Joey was inside the apartment sleeping because it was like midnight and he had locked the door. And I look around the hallway. I'm like, what should I do? I mean, it's my own home. I should be banging down the door. I should be blasting through the windows. Hey, wake up, Joey. But as I look down the hallway, I remember that my neighbor has a sign that says, shh, baby sleeping. And so what did I do? I went, Joey, please open the door. Do you know what I did that night? Because of the baby sleeping, I literally bought a hotel room in the town that I live in. How ridiculous is that? It's just completely, I mean, it's backwards. Because I'm like, I can't shamelessly knock. 
There's a baby sleeping down the hallway. Now, mind you, in the middle of the night, that baby might start crying. During the middle of the day, that baby might start screaming and shouting, and I don't know why, but it's acceptable for that baby. Why? Because it's a child. It's not acceptable for me because at the time, I was a 25-year-old man. Joey! I can't do that. See, the key to prayer and understanding why we get to pray like this is by forgetting our age and remembering no matter who you are, you're a child. You're a child. See, when Jesus was asked, how do you pray? He told a parable. And a parable is a story that proves one point. Jesus was asked, how do we pray? And he told the story about a neighbor who keeps on knocking. Now, Jesus was not asked, how does God respond to prayer? Because now Jesus is about to tell a second parable, and this is a parable that's going to prove another point. Jesus told a parable to say, here is how you pray, and now he's going to say another parable to say, now here's how God receives the prayer. And here's how God receives prayer. He says, you fathers, if your children asks for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Jesus is saying, you're a child with God. When he told them, here's how you pray, and he gave them that script, which we know is the Lord's Prayer, he said it, this is how you should pray. First word, Father. Father. On the next screen, Father. Yay, Father, thank you. Sorry, bad joke. Call him Father. The key to prayer, into praying persistently and shamelessly, is to remember that you are a child. And while this was shocking to people who heard Jesus say this, because in those days, in those religious circles, they would teach the opposite of this. If you're going to pray, you must be wearing the right things, standing in the right places, and saying the right words, because God is a holy God who ought to be respected. But the best way to respect God, Jesus says, is to treat him like your father to treat him like a good and perfect parent, to treat him like you know you are a child of God. And so Jesus is teaching this to people who are like, I've never heard of this before, but do you know this? Jesus is not actually saying anything new. This has always been the character of God. If you open up your Bibles and you look in the Old Testament, the stories that come before Jesus lived, you'd see something about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was in this conversation with God. And God said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and destroy this city. Not super great, but this city's corrupt. It's broken. They're killing people. They're ruining their society. They have self-destructed. I'm going to take it away. And Abraham gets in this back and forth with God. He says, well, God, what if there are 50 good people there? And God says, okay. And Abraham says, well, if there was 50, what if there's 45? And God says, Okay. What if there's 40? No, 30. And he keeps on having this back and forth with God. Like, who does Abraham think he's talking to? By the end of it, he says, Lord, would you please, just please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. I know I'm shameless about this. I know I've been persistent. I know I just won't shut up about this. But please listen to me. Suppose there's only 10 there. And God says, okay, if there's 10. Like, how would, Ab who does Abraham think he is? He's talking like a child. Only children talk like this. Only children have the audacity to tug at an adult's sleeve over and over and over again. 
Remember when I was in high school and I was working at Shields All Sports and I was a cashier there, people would come through the aisles with their kids and right at the aisles, like those poor parents, we'd have all those candy bars and licorice and sugared drinks right there. And you just hear kids say to their parents, mom, 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 dad, 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 come on, give me some more, give me some more. I want some food, I want some candy. And it's not like they disown their kid right in front of me, like, that's it, you're staying here with the cashier. No, like children have this ability to do that. Like only children get to do it. There's no other relationship like this where we get to do that. I mean, I don't care how close you are with your roommate. If your roommate shows up in your doorway in the middle of the night and says, hey, get me a glass of water, I'm real thirsty. <laughs> Be like, Go get it yourself, you adult. Only a child gets to show up and say something like that. And I don't have any kids, but I just imagine like if one of my nieces or nephews came into my door and say, I need water, but like, yes, anything, what else do you want? I wouldn't get mad at them. I'd understand. That's how children act. The key to connecting with God in the way that Jesus desires for us to connect with God is to forget our age and remember that we're a child. Like, do you know who you're praying to when you're praying? Like, no matter what you say, no matter who you think you're praying to, like, God does hear it. I want you to know that. But sometimes, like, we've missed, like, the identity of who we're praying to. I found this in the same study that I referenced earlier when it was talking about like, so who do you think that you are praying to? Did you know that less than half of people who pray believe that someone will answer? That includes Christians. That includes people who believe that there is a God. I've heard this said many times before. Like when something bad happens and then we pray about it and then somehow, some way, a miracle occurs and then we say, ah, God answered that prayer. But don't you know that God answers every prayer? Like even the prayers that don't turn out the way that we want them to. Someone is listening. Someone is always answering. It doesn't mean it's the answer that we want. But God is always listening. Because God's a really good parent. So many of us, I think the reason why we think someone might not answer is because we don't think of God as a parent. We don't operate like that. A lot of us are praying to God as if God is an employer or a boss. But God is not an employer. Like so many of our relationships in this world are economic. I do something for you, you do something for me. If we're not having a fair trade in that, I'll remove myself from this relationship. I'll cut it off. And so we go to God and we say something like this. You know, God, I know I haven't been so great lately, but I promise I'll start to do better. Can you please bless me? Or maybe you go up to God and you say, God, I've been really, really good. You need to bless me. Or maybe you go up to God and you say, that person just sucks. Why are you blessing them? And we start to like curse somebody, God's own child in front of God. Because we sometimes treat God like an employer. We treat God like an employer when the legalistic side of ourselves come out, when this fundamental understanding of religion and of faith and of God, it just starts to manipulate our minds into thinking that God will reward those who serve him properly. No, you're a child. You're a child. You're not an employee of God. You're a child of God. And when we talk to God like he's an employer, it reveals some of the broken understandings that we have about our relationship and connection with God. It also reveals that sometimes we think God's a genie, right? God's not an employer, but God is also not a genie. Sometimes we think, oh my goodness, things are falling apart, so I'm just going to go get that, you know, that, that, that bottle out of, my, out of my closet, and I see it about once a year, and I'm just going to rub it, and like, Lord, come out and grant my wishes, right? 
These are the prayers that say like, God, I promise if you do this, we're good. Like, grant my wish, please. Again, you can pray like this and God will still hear it. And God is a God of grace. And so God might even do what you've asked him to do. But it's not good for us to approach prayer like this. God is not a genie. And every single one of us who have ever prayed before, you probably know that this is true. Not everything that you pray for happens and isn't that tough. But Jesus kind of explains why that is. See, children don't get everything that they ask for from their parents. Jesus said this, if your children ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people, conviction, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now that sounds really nice, but if you really look deeper into it, what did Jesus just say? Because like sometimes I go up to God and I'm asking metaphorically, can I have a pony? And he's like, I'm going to give you even more. And I'm like, okay, I can't wait. He goes, here's the Holy Spirit. Thanks. <laughs> God is saying, I will give you everything that you need. I believe that what Jesus is teaching us here is God gives us everything that we would have asked for in prayer if we knew everything that God knows. When I was seven years old, there are things that I asked for for my parents that it is a miracle and it is a very good thing they didn't give it to me. When I was seven years old, I asked for a race car. By the time that I was 17, I already had two suspensions on my licenses and the DOT was telling me, do not give this man a race car, this boy a race car. Like, I'm understanding. But of course, being my parents' child at the age of seven, when they didn't give me what I wanted, it didn't mean I was going to say, that's it, I'm not coming home anymore. No, I still knew it was my home. Instinctively, I still knew that that's where I belonged. I didn't run away just because my parents didn't give me what I wanted. See, to have a childlike faith and to approach God in prayer like a child is to say, God, sometimes you're not going to give me what I want, and I won't even understand what you're doing or why you're doing that. Because as a child, I know sometimes big people, grown-ups, they do things that don't make sense to me. And even if I knew all the reasons for it, it wouldn't actually help me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, someday in heaven, you're going to know everything. You're going to know the reasons of everything that's ever happened. All the secrets of the universe will come undone, and you'll see them. But none of it compares to the love that God has for you. Even if you knew every single reason for every single thing that God's ever done, why he's given you what he's given you, why he hasn't given you what he hasn't given you, it doesn't compare to the love that God has for you. The love that God has for you. As his child, who are you praying to? God's your father. You're praying to your perfect parent. And that can be very difficult for some of us to hear. I know that. Because for some of us, maybe you had a parent or maybe you just had an authoritative figure in your life that you were supposed to be able to trust and they proved to you that you couldn't. And so when we think about God as a father, we're gonna have to unlearn a few things, won't we? We're gonna have to unlearn a few things. Like this perfect parent will not kick you out when you throw a temper tantrum. This perfect parent will not humiliate you when you screw up. This perfect parent won't hold a mirror in front of you to show you everything that's wrong about you. This perfect parent will always love you. And that's why we go to God. That's why we connect with God. So often we're going to God as an employer or as a genie. We say, God, give me that next thing. 
so many of us, so many times, I go into prayer. I'm like, God, give me some more stuff. Give me some more things. Make me ready for that thing. But don't we understand? Prayer is not a means to get things. Prayer is the thing. Prayer is everything. It's connection. It's that thing that the foundations of our soul is crying out for. For communion with the God who is there at the foundations of the universe. Prayer is the thing. You're welcomed into this. Persistently, shamelessly knock. Remember whose house you're showing up at in the middle of the night. Look, I know sometimes when we think about when I show up in the middle of the night, it's too late. I couldn't ask for something. How nice is it that Jesus says, pray as if it's the middle of the night. Pray as if it's too late. And pray boldly. Because there was one night when Jesus sat with his disciples. It was the night that he would be betrayed, turned over to the authorities, which would lead to his imminent and soon to come death. It was after the sun had gone down. It was dark outside. And he sat with his disciples and he started to teach them about love and about friendship. And he revealed who he is. What kind of a friend he is in the middle of the night. He said to them in John chapter 15, it actually is. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. You see, when you go to a friend in the middle of the night and it feels too late and you're crying out, God, help me. Jesus is the friend who was already waiting at that door, so eager to open and welcome you into his father's house and to remind you that it is your father's house. How do we pray? Talk to your dad. Talk to your perfect parent and know that God receives you unconditionally as his child.